Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Regular listeners will know I recently got married. And thank you to everybody who reached out with some well wishes. As you can imagine, I didn't pay much attention to the stock market on my honeymoon. And as you know, we ran a few pre-recorded episodes over the last few weeks. That's why Lou Whiteman is joining me today to catch us up on some of the stories we missed while I was off getting hitched. Lou, welcome back on the show. Glad to be here, and congrats. I can't believe you weren't paying attention to the market the whole time. Though shame on you. Yeah, you know, with with the big time difference out there in Hawaii, you know, it's like I, I would wake up and I'm like, man, the market's already getting ready to close here. So, uh, so yeah, it's interesting to be back on the East Coast time. You know, the uh, I guess the master time zone when it comes to running things like stock markets uh, and things like that. Uh, and excited to get back in the swing of things, Lou. So we're going to talk about some earnings reports, uh, some news that happened over the past month. Where do we want to start out here today? Well, I was thinking, I mean, I, I have to start with Boeing because they are just so big. And it was finally some good news, right? Uh, Boeing, first profit since the third quarter of 2019, uh, 40 cents per share on the per, on the per stock basis. Uh, just for comparison purposes, analysts were expecting a 72 cent loss. So it was a really, really big, really impressive headline number. Yeah, I mean, we've got people heading back out flying. You know, I just mentioned when on my honeymoon, the airport was very crowded. Every plane I got back, I got on was full uh, to the max. How much is this kind of rebound we're seeing in travel? We'll see whether that continues. We've got Delta variant, things like that out there. But how much of this current rebound in travel is that contributing to what we're seeing in these numbers from Boeing? We're seeing a tiny bit of it over on the service side. One of the real cool things about this is every one of Boeing's three businesses, commercial, defense, and then services, which is kind of aftermarket and spare parts, they all just blew away expectations. And certainly, we're seeing some of it in the services side as far as what's going on in the world. But really, I mean, and and we can talk in a second, there were some one-time things we need to at least temper ourselves a bit. But really, this was just gosh, they're back. And it's good to see because we haven't been saying a lot of that for for a long time. Yeah, we've been, we've been waiting uh, to see Boeing kind of get out of this, you know, time in the wilderness. We had the 737 MAX scandal. Then, of course, we've had global travel shutdown, which, of course, is going to impact uh, one of the, the companies most levered to global air travel. Uh, so what are these caveats folks should be paying attention to in this earnings report, Lou? So yeah, so uh, we're going to hear timing a lot with uh, with this report, and that's not to say anything is bad here. It's just good to know as we're thinking forward. Uh, commercial is still losing money. They lost four hundred seventy two million. That was better than expected by over uh, more than a hundred dollars. Some of that was just the timing of R and D investments. There wasn't a lot of spent in research and development relative to expectations. So you know that's going to catch up with them eventually. Um, we still have about maybe upwards of four billion dollars in compensation liability related to the problems the 737 MAX had, and that's just payments or credits they are going to have to give their customers. Little to none of that came out in the quarter. So again, that's just kind of looming there, and we're going to see that. Um, you know, th- the news is good. They are getting back on track. 737 MAX production will go to 31 frames a month in, t- in t- 2022. That's maybe double what they were doing a couple months ago. Uh, but again, it's important to remember that absent all the issues they've had, both COVID and the MAX issues, they would be 
uh, pumping those out at 50-something, mid-50s a month right now. Um, across the board, a defense backlog fell. I'm not too worried about that. We'll talk about that more with other companies, but it seems like the Pentagon was maybe slow in getting awards out based on what we're seeing for defense companies. The big thing, I think the big takeaway, the thing to note in terms of before we get too excited is net debt, $63.6 billion basically unchanged. Uh, if you go back a few years, uh, that's four times higher than it was. It's very abnormally high for Boeing. They aren't making a lot of process, progress on that right now. They have to do that to really get healthy. And um, it'll come. They're just not there yet. I, I think given the timing, given all of the choppiness, we're still heading in the right direction. But certainly I wouldn't say, wow, it's all over. It's all up from here. I would bet we'll see a lot of a lot of these things pull back on them a little in the third quarter. Yeah, the analogy that comes to mind is you got this big cruise ship turning around. You know, sometimes you got you got to do that Austin Powers turn, right, uh, to, to get it. And maybe maybe Boeing is going through that um, a little bit. So you mentioned the commercial business, kind of coming out of the uh, coming out of the uh, you know time in the desert, um, have had uh, still so, some concessions to make with customers. We've talked about in the past about how. Yeah, you look five years ago, Boeing really had all the all the leverage in this relationship and how it's shifted somewhat towards the airlines uh, being in a little bit stronger position. How would you assess that now? And, you know, when you look, some of these airlines have reported, how do you how do you view them uh, in the market today? So I'm going to give a real simplistic answer, but I think sometimes looking at things simple is the way to do it. Uh, if you look at United's huge order during the quarter of uh, over 200 planes, uh, Southwest doubling down on its its order book. Uh, these aren't for today. This is not their scrambling to get metal. This is them seeing opportunities to do a deal now. And I think it really is probably that simple. The airlines are motivated to lock in for the future because of pricing. Uh, I, I, I joked when the United Order came out that it might have been a BOGO, uh, buy one, get one free. And I, 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 that is a joke. I don't think it's that bad. But certainly, Boeing is still at a, a, a position where they need to move metal and they need to price appropriately. So I don't. I think this is good for Boeing because we need cash. I remember they burnt through 20-something billion dollars in, in, in last year. They need free cash flow. They'll get free cash flow from selling planes. So this is where they are, but this is still a buyer's market for new planes, I think. All right, Lou, any, any last uh, things maybe we should pull out of this Boeing, or Boeing earnings before we move on to Lockheed Martin? Well, I'm going to even get grumpier on, on the third quarter because we knew this was coming, but uh, Airbus has officially unveiled its A350 freighter today. Boeing, for a long time, has had a near exclusivity on large, dedicated freighter planes, not converts, where, but, but these planes that are built for cargo. Uh, this has been a real program saver in a couple of cases, like the 767, where they could just, they, they had no competition. They could keep the program going and, and make it economically viable thanks to cargo. Those days are changing. That's a long-term thing for your radar. It's not going to it's not gonna ruin them, but that was a slam dunk business that is going to get a lot harder in the future. Competition uh, makes things a little bit more complicated. And, you know, airlines and just like any other business. So, Lou, you mentioned we talked a little bit more about defense with some of these other companies. Uh, this company we want to talk about right now is Lockheed Martin. What's going on with Lockheed Martin? What does that tell us about defense more broadly? So this is probably one of the most interesting earnings reports we've seen. Uh, for one thing, so the the headline numbers are kind of boring this time. Six fifty two per share, which was a penny shy of consensus. So call it call it a wash. Uh, revenue was about a hundred million ahead of expectation at seventeen billion. This is a huge company. This is the world's largest dedicated defense company. The intrigue here is kind of if you look behind the scenes at what what drove these numbers. 
everything worked at Lockheed except for one thing. Lockheed took an unexpected 61 cent per share charge on a single classified program. That's $225 million in one quarter on a single program that was unexpected, which is just a huge goof, miss, whatever you want to call it. But Back, and, and I'm not saying you can back that out because that counts, but back that out and this would have been a blockbuster. Uh, even with that charge, they were basically flat versus expectations. Uh, by my math, 49, maybe 50 cents per share in an operational beat. Without that, there was also some tax credits and stuff to get that at full 61. We had all four divisions see revenue come in ahead of guidance. Um, all but aeronautics, where that charge was, beat on margin. Lockheed's business is a massive, I mean, they got fighter planes, they have helicopters, they've got missiles, they've got space, they have all sorts of things going on, and it's all working right now. Yeah, so, so you mentioned that one mysterious charge, a classified program within any of these defense companies. There's a level of mystery uh, to what's going on whenever you get inside that black box of classified programs. But kind of seeing through that haze, Lou, any deeper thoughts or things we can we can think about as investors there? Well, so it, this is fascinating. Yeah, obviously, it's classified is the answer, right? But uh, but we can sort of guess. And actually, at, it, it, there's a real bull case to be made if you want to go down with some speculation. Uh, we know it is in aeronautics, which is where, I mean, they, they do a lot of things in there. It's where a lot of their R&D comes out of, but it's mostly their fighter plane, their plane program. I think it's quite possible, if not growing likely, that what we are looking at is the next Air Force fighter, this top secret program that we first heard about about 18 months ago. Uh, we were on here, I speculated at the time, I thought it was Lockheed Martin and not Boeing and Northrop, but it this charge really sort of makes me think it is, especially, uh, you know, Lockheed wasn't real subtle. Management was saying, we, yes, this stinks, and yes, they had to actually change guidance for the rest of the year because now they're just baking in more expense going forward with this. That 225 was maybe only half of what the added expense is, but they believe there's a production contract to come out of this, and they seem giddy about that. If it's the fighter plane, we are talking not only a multi-billion dollar new franchise that will come out of this, but also Lockheed keeps its winning streak going. Boeing and Northrop haven't won a fighter plane contract in either of our lifetimes, basically, now. And so this is these are franchises that Lockheed wants to hold serve. If that turns out being what it is, yes, there's going to be short-term pain in this past quarter. There's going to be a little higher expenses, but they seem really confident that whatever it is, it will lead to a production contract, which should mean it'll level out. And if it is this fighter plane, then yeah, that is another tentpost franchise that Lockheed has under its umbrella and um, it, it, it's a big deal for them. Yeah, so this is one of those where you, where you see the headline says earnings missed, but then you dig in a little bit and it's it's a, a bullish miss, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, look, this wasn't the perfect quarter. Uh, they, you know, similar to Boeing, the defense, we just didn't see a lot of orders. Their book to bill, which is kind of a, a rough measure of orders that came in versus what they build out. So we want to see that the higher, the better, because it means the business is growing. Their book to bill was 0.66, which is uh, terrible. Uh, some of that is um, the F-35 order they expected just didn't come in this quarter. Uh, but, you know, but you know, Boeing said that, Lockheed said that, General Dynamics said it too. I'm guessing that's on the Pentagon side of it, but certainly something to watch. Free cash flow wasn't what we expected. Again, it looks like uh, 
tax issue, tax timing and stuff like that. But there are some things definitely to watch for the third quarter. But all in, this is a this is a well-run company that might have another hit on its hands once you get through whatever this classified is. Yeah, so something uh, to watch. So moving on from this aerospace sector that we talked about with Boeing and Lockheed, let's talk about Tesla. Electric vehicles are on the tip of everybody's tongue. Every automaker on the face of the planet is trying to chase Tesla into EVs. What are we seeing from Tesla, the, uh, the, the top dog here? Well, you know, it, it's funny. By Tesla standard, this was a pretty, I, I don't want to say boring, but this was a pretty just run-of-the-mill quarter. And, and I mean that much to their credit. I mean, the number, the headline is great. A record quarterly profit, record production, record deliveries. Uh, the chip shortage, which is affecting all of these automakers and is causing a lot of pain. Tesla, on the surface, seems to be navigating better than most. Uh, Elon Musk said that they achieved the output that we did achieve. Uh, here's the quote, was only due to the immense effort from people within Tesla. We were able to substitute alternative chips and then write the firmware in a matter of weeks. Uh, you know, that's not an easy thing. They, you know, they had to basically reinvent this, but apparently it's working for them to keep production going. I mean, you have $1.1 billion in gap net income. Uh, first profit, excluding credit sales, which is a huge deal and something that, that critics really love to bang Tesla on. So all in, you know, I mean, I mean, there's, there's fodder for the bears always with this company, but all in, you got to say this was a decent quarter, I think. Yeah. I think for me, the, the, the been kind of two, two criticisms of Tesla for me have been, have been one, when are we going to get a, a, a real kind of non-beta product uh, for full self-driving that we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. And then two, you know, when are we going to make profit directly from selling these vehicles without kind of getting government subsidy involved or, or these these types of uh, of penalties involved with, with, with selling uh, the credits? And we got that this quarter. Now, this is still, I think if you look at the valuation, I think it's very, very, very richly uh, valued, but the company is performing from an operational perspective. And uh, it's really tough to, to, uh, to, to see much to criticize here. I, I think this is a really strong um, report from Tesla. If we want to look out into into the future, still developing uh, the the the, uh, the Berlin factory in Germany, still developing uh, the factory in Texas. Both of those are going to be uh, developing the Model Y. Still pushing the timeline back somewhat for Cybertruck and uh, the Semi. Part of that is they, they cited supply chain issues. Part of that is you got to have batteries to support all these programs. And you know, with, with record deliveries, uh, there's lots of demand for the three and the Y um, and things like that. Um, yeah, what, what what jumped out to you for for kind of future product projects for Tesla and things to watch. So, so a few things on the things to watch, and uh, you know, I mean, again, a lot of these are speculative, but uh, this is Tesla, so uh, so much of so much of it is forward looking. Uh, you know, um, for one thing, th the fact that they substituted the chips, I think, is great. But remember, this is a company that got in trouble a couple of years ago because they weren't using automotive grade monitor screens, and they had to recall all of that. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I have no idea, but that was the first thing I thought of when I, we found different chips that no one else could find. Hopefully, they're automotive grade, and it won't come back to bite them in years to come. But hopefully also they learn from that lesson with the screen. So, um, but, but that's certainly a long-term watch thing. And also on the batteries, uh, yes, the semi is delayed because of uh, battery issues, but, but let's be honest, it, this is a battery that they haven't really showed yet too. So we got to kind of hope they still seem to think they'll get there next year, but this is a higher power battery. Uh, the plaid launch hasn't seemed to go as they hoped. And that's, again, you know, using some of these newer battery techs. So I think there are still questions about 
about the semi's viability and um, Cybertruck. I I just don't know what to say about that. I I I I don't think. I mean, in a way, it seems like they are rushing it because of the Ford Lightning and some of the things, but I just don't think that's the same market. I I think it's more Tesla still needs to get new product out on the market. Their product lineup by and large, especially on the high end, is starting to look stale by automotive standards. So I I, I don't I don't know if it's a reaction to Ford as much as it is as we need to get new products out the door and Cybertruck is one that people seem interested in. Yeah, so we've got the, the 4680 cells under development, got got some uh, some real discussion um, on the conference call. I think these are going to be lighter, more efficient, cheaper, working with partners to get these um, up under development, but still in a, in a testing phase, still something that, um, that they need to work towards uh, uh, mass production. That's something you hear Musk talk about a lot on these earnings calls is the difficulty of getting from this prototype phase to mass production, whether it's for vehicles or batteries or anything else, still something uh, that Tesla is working through along those those same lines. Talked some about full self-driving. They launched that as a subscription uh, just in this most recent quarter, charging $199 a month versus what had previously been a $10,000 dollar option. Uh, but Musk on the call talks about we, we still have some uh, some development work left to do, says, quote, we need to make full self-driving work in order for it to be a compelling value proposition. Otherwise, people are kind of betting on the future. I mean, right now, uh, like right now, does it make sense for somebody to do FSD subscription? I think it's debatable, but once we have full self-driving widely deployed, then the value proposition will be clear. I think that's a really important lever for, for Tesla to pull. We're also starting to see uh, more of these other automakers launch similar products. So we just saw GM sue Ford for using Blue Cruise because they say it it, it, uh, it infringes on their patents. So we're seeing some of these other these other folks um, get involved uh, in the space. So I, I want to talk about one other thing, Lou. So we've quoted Musk several times here. Um, we heard that, that this might be his last earnings call. Or he's not going to regularly participate in earnings calls going forward. What do you, what do you think about uh, that decision? And you know, how normal is it for uh, for CEOs to to step away from from uh, this role? So, so we're slacking about this. There's some high no, high profile examples. Uh, Jeff Bezos, I think back in the day, maybe uh, Rex Tillerson, because some companies, Warren Buffett doesn't even do it. You know, there are companies to do that. Uh, you know, it's funny because Musk is so out there whether you should be or not sometimes on te- on Twitter and things we certainly it's not going to be I, I can't imagine musk behind the behind the curtain just uh, not not commenting I I tend to think if I was a CEO these three month updates as you know both the finances and on the business would be you know I mean we want long-term thinkers and this three month grind of it I, I, I bet you most CEOs, if they could, would, would opt out. But as an investor, I'm disappointed because I do think you can learn from hearing just the off-the-cuff comments, kind of the the outlook, the enthusiasm. I, I, I think there's a lot we get out of it, but I don't know if it really alters the business. And if I was a CEO, I'd probably want to do that, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it alters the business. I will say... Uh- I find Tesla's earnings calls to be among the most entertaining uh, to read and pay attention to, to attention to because of Musk. He, he's always willing to say exactly what he thinks at any moment in time. So, so maybe it makes the uh, the Tesla earnings calls less uh, appointment viewing as they may have been in the past. But we'll get plenty of FaceTime uh, with Musk. They're big fans of these regular events, whether it's the Cybertruck reveal or Battery Day or Autonomy Day or any of these others. I don't think we'll, we'll stop seeing Musk at, at those uh, sorts of events. But in these more, uh, I don't know, institutional investor focused uh uh, events, I, I think uh, you know Musk is stepping back from that. And that that probably is to the good for him, probably to the good uh, uh, for the company. So, uh, any, any last thoughts on Tesla before we move on? Uh, 
Well, just, you know, it's interesting because uh, it is, this could be a be careful what you wish for. But part of my answer with Musk, as I was thinking of it, is, is that this is a company that a lot of investors have wanted to be just a tiny bit more boring. And so maybe Musk going off, you know, that way it'll it'll help that and just focus on the business. But at the same time, this was a really good earnings report that the market kind of just shrugged at. And I do think it's interesting. We talk about Tesla's valuation and all that. I mean, part of it is, is that it has just been, it was a meme stock before meme stocks. If we're moving into a period where it is more just a stock and not that center of attention i i i mean all the more reason for them to perform because there, there isn't going to be just that wild crazy boost i mean long term it's for the good but it could alter the dynamics of the stock going forward if it continue, if it just becomes a stock and not the stock you watch so you know i mean i think yeah that's that's just something i it's going to be fascinating to watch i think yeah, we'll see how it goes. Tesla is always a fun company to follow. I don't think it's going to stop being that, whether or not Musk wants to appear on the earnings calls or not, but we'll, we'll keep paying attention, uh, Lou. Uh, one last company we want to talk about is XPO Logistics. A couple interesting things going on with XPO. They've got a split going on, which we've, which we've talked about in the past. Also, reported earnings. If folks aren't familiar with XPO, XPO is a logistics company. You hear all these big tech companies, whether it's Facebook or Amazon or Google, talking about how, how much e-commerce is growing or PayPal or any of these others. This is the company that's facilitating a lot of that uh, uh, for these companies. So what, what's, what are we seeing from XPO on the earnings side? And then let's get into the split here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I know. And, and as you say, everyone hears logistics and kind of glazes over. But I, as I tried to sell this not too long ago, because this is one of my favorite companies, this is the next big thing in e-commerce. And I stand by that. Uh, but first of all, about the earnings. And you know, this was especially interesting. We've all known over the past year that uh, deliveries are up. But uh, we kind of, UPS, disappointed by saying, you know what, it, it, things are starting to slow. And then this UPS's stock fell, I believe, 5-7% after their earnings. So, there wasn't, it wasn't a guaranteed slam dunk going in here, but XPO, pardon the pun, really delivered. Uh, 186 per share compared to 168 estimates, uh, f- over $5 billion in revenue, about $200 million more than uh, than was expected. They also upped their fo- pre-split guidance. Uh, these are all single quarter records. Uh, and let's break it down because this is a business, as you say, they're going to split between sort of the trucking side and the logistics side. Uh, the logistics is the e-commerce. We'll talk about that in a second. But trucking, even this trucking, uh, they had their best operating ratio, which is kind of how it's a look at how how efficiently they operate. The, the lower, the better. Uh, 81% is pretty good for a trucker. It's a, an improvement of 150 basis points from just the last quarter. Uh, how are they doing that? Their loads grew by 33%, but headcount grew by 15%. That's how you do it. Uh, a lot of this is, this is a company that's been spending half a billion dollars annually on tech. Uh, part of it is something they call XPO Connect. Uh, it's sort of, I Jokingly, it's a, a dating app for truckers, but not that way. It, it matches truckers with customers. Um, it is just, it's growing. It's exactly how they want it to be. Year over year, carriers that are using 87%, uh, I'm sorry, carrier growth has, is up 87%. Uh, the customer side, it's up nearly 100%. This is a stodgy old trucking business, but stodgy old trucking business with scale and with tech can be a real good business, especially with the demand out there with shipping right now and some of the backlog. And uh, XPO, that side of it, the kind of the boring old economy that's going to be left after the split, they are really performing almost like no trucker in the business. 
Yeah, it's one of those where you, know, you mentioned boring business. People don't get excited by it. Maybe that explains the reason for this split. We've, we're splitting off the trucking business, which will retain the name XPO Logistics. And then the warehousing side of the business, the e-commerce side of the business will be called GXO, will be the newly formed business. And if you, you hear how uh, they're marketing this company on the roadshow, they're really marketing themselves as we're the pure play out here, right? We're the, we're the company where you, you give us the big e-commerce multiple. What should we know about GXO? This, is, this split is coming down the pike very, very soon. Yeah. So I, 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 the way I try to describe this to people is this is the Amazon logistics for everyone not named Amazon. There isn't a single retailer that can match Amazon on scale, and that's their big advantage. But if you combine your back office, if your your logistics with other big players, you can match them on scale. And GXO is trying to position themselves as basically that. They have a who's who list of customers, Apple, Nike, Walt Disney, Nestle, PepsiCo, Whirlpool, a lot of others, they are running the outsourced logistics warehousing for these companies. Uh, there's three huge tailwinds they're talking here. You mentioned e-commerce. You mentioned uh, warehouse automation. Again, this is a tech play, but also even before the pandemic, and this has only picked up since the pandemic, companies, big companies, they do not consider supply chain and logistics to be their core competency. If they can find someone that can do it for them, we are we are seeing a trend towards outsourcing, and uh, GXO is playing into that. Uh, if you just look at that business, organic revenue up 16%. Year to date, it wa- has won 2.5 billion dollars in new business. The new bu- the business forward number is up to like five point a little over five billion if you count uh, contract renewals. Uh, this is this. It's all going to plan as far as if you believe in e-commerce, if you believe Nike, Apple, all these guys are going to need to get product directly to customers, but they don't want that hassle. GXO is right there saying, we will do that for you. And uh, they are they, their goal is to ride this wave. Yeah, I think people underestimate how difficult that problem is of doing logistics for e-commerce. Just think about the problem of returns. It's hard enough to get things to the customer, but I, I know I, I return things semi-regularly that I buy online, and I know people who do that a lot more uh, than I do. It's really difficult uh, not, not only to send you know all these packages in and distribute it out to a thousand different homes, but then have 200 of those homes send it back to you and you have to figure out uh, what to do uh, with these products. And that's what a company like GXO can do and really develop a specialty in that maybe Nike doesn't want to. My, Nike wants to be really good at making sneakers and you know golf apparel and, and things like that. Uh, and, and I think there's a role uh, for a company um, like GXO when there's not a lot of businesses out there willing to invest the type of capital that an Amazon is to do it on their own. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, for most of them, nor should they. Yeah, I mean, reverse logistics, what you're talking about with returns, is a huge potential market that GXO, uh, FedEx, a few others. So, I mean, they're not alone here. But yeah, these are these are headaches that you can remove from the customer. Now, in, in terms of this as a growth story and why I'm so excited about this, I mean, right now they're on an annual re- revenue run rate of about $7 billion. And I know it's dangerous to, uh, you know, to do total addressable market, but right now by their estimates, it's about $130 billion opportunity for outsourced logistics. But if you look at it, it's bigger than that. Because as I said, the real trend right now is companies are just starting to take their in-house operations and outsource it. Uh, if you add all of that in-source business, now it's not going to 100% go out, but that 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 4x that 130 
billion dollar market. Uh, this is not a winner take all. These all these big companies are going at it. I like GXO because of their technology, because of their relationships. But look, I mean, this is a company that you know it go from seven to fourteen to twenty one to twenty eight billion in a hundred and thirty billion dollar market, and a market that's also, mind you, probably growing. They have to get it right. They have to execute. But wow, this is, I, I see this almost as more of an opportunity than e-commerce itself right now, because, you know, e-commerce, yes, there's opportunity, but the kind of the, the Amazon's already there. There's a real opportunity to be that Amazon, that, that, that big Titan player for so many retailers and kind of establish yourself there. And that's what they're chasing. Yeah, Lou, so I know you've owned XPO for a long time, and full disclosure uh, for folks, when you, when you look at this split, you're going to be owning both of these companies uh, for the long term. What are your thoughts on you know where these new split companies fit in a portfolio? So yeah, as of Monday, they are scheduled to ring the bell on Monday, and GXO will become official. And for everyone like me who owns, for every share of XPO you own, you will own a share of XPO and a share of GXO. I'm personally holding both because I like these stories. Uh, the the architect to put all this together, Brad Jacobs, is going to stay on the trucking side. I think that with kind of the debt and the higher higher growth side that there's real opportunities for the trucking to go back to what Jacobs does best, which is consolidate. I I think though it is more of a transportation play and it is going to be a, a foundational element. GXO, I mean I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I really do believe I mean we, we talk at Motley Fool a lot about, you know, finding real market beating opportunities and uh, me as an industrial guy saying you know you don't just have to go to software there are they're harder to find maybe but there are companies that can be real winners market beaters over time and uh, gxo it looks like all the elements are there and um yeah i'm really excited to see what happens with that one yeah you mentioned brad jacobs you know he's one of the best to ever do it when it comes to, to roll-ups and that means he's one of the best capital allocators out there he makes a capital allocation decision i think it's probably going to work out uh well and i'm excited to see what he can do with maybe a, a little bit more flexibility uh to make some moves in the trucking space or and conti- continue uh to play that story out one last uh, a big story from the past month that we haven't got a chance to discuss on the podcast is the billionaire space flight so we we had both richard branson and jeff bezos fly to space over the past month uh you'd be surprised to look at uh virgin galactic's stock uh, over the past month that they had had a successful space flight down 42 percent in the past month what do you make of you know these this achievement right private space flight taking place and then also the broader reaction in the market so it's like the cosmic example of uh you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. <laughs> Where I mean, that yes, uh, Virgin Galactic has suffered, but it was up, I think, almost two hundred percent in the couple months leading up to this. And yeah, you know, we're in a weird moment for this because it the the accomplishments are amazing, and I can tell myself a story about how there are real business opportunities here. But it is still an unproven market, and you know, it's it's kind of funny now that it's happened, and the kind of the 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 romance or the mystery is gone and and you have um the astronauts who went along saying yeah it was kind of cramped though you know i mean i i I do think it's sort of this is that weird moment where something goes from idea to reality um i'm skeptical on space tourism as a market by itself i am bullish on space i sort of like some of the diversity Diversified plays, uh, Boeing and Lockheed, especially Lockheed, are you know examples of that where you get uh, exposure to space without kind of an all or nothing bet. Uh, but I think 
I think we're just kind of in digest mode. We that big milestone happened, the excitement happened, and now uh, Virgin Galactic is is racing to actually start service, and we're going to learn more and more about just the actual business underneath the brand in the quarters to come. And I do think the market might be saying, "Okay, we'll see." You know, as as far as the business and not the and not the drama or the appeal. So I kind of think that's where we are now and we probably will be until we until we get more progress from them. Yeah, so still still a market very much in development. We've now had what half a dozen people maybe who have who have successfully paid to go to space or even well even the Virgin Galactic I think all those were were employees. So we had a couple folks uh on the on the the um the Blue Origin space flight. So still very much a, a, a new market still uh Something where, uh, you know, it's a long way before we're at commercial airline status to go back to where we started um, this podcast. So uh, I think still this is still a venture capital uh, a type bet here. And we're seeing the market, I think, maybe value it um, in such a way. Lou, always great to have you um, on the podcast. Any last thoughts here? No, no, no. I was, I was agreeing with you. I think it's right. This is binary. If you, if you want to invest in this, uh, a small part of a diversified portfolio, you know, that's like, don't put don't put your retirement on space tourism but it is really cool and it legitimately could work out yeah i gotta say i'm very bullish on the jeff bezos like space wrangler cowboy outfit with cowboy boots to go to space so i was talking with uh, with our producer tim sparks before we got on the show it's like wasn't that like the space cowboys uh, uh show uh movie a number <laughs> of years ago with tommy lee jones and all that stuff he's, he's bringing it back but uh can i real quick take the counterpoint on that go for it dude you just went to space you don't need the cowboy hat. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, your point is made without the cowboy hat. That felt like overkill for me. But anyway. <laughs> right. Hey, reasonable minds can disagree. Lou, thank you for joining me as always. Always a pleasure, Nick. Good to see you. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.